Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slusser, and today our guest is former A's catcher and longtime TV and radio analyst Ray Fossey. We'll talk about game one of the series, the rest of the series going forward, Fossey's thoughts on the Astros, and a quick reminder, this is a little bit on the loud side. I am here at Dodger Stadium, which even with no fans, is a little bit on the loud side. Here we go. Ray, first of all, let's uh, let's get right to it and talk about game one. The A's don't seem to fare very well in game ones. Liam Hendricks even mentioned that the other day, like that just kind of throw the game one out. What's your view of what went on in, in game one? Well, first of all, forget about I mean, you, you want to try to win game one. I mean, you can't look at it as a throw away and then go forward. That's fine. That means you have to win three out of four. But... You know, I think the biggest thing, and it's been this way even going back to last year, the offense. And I say offense, and granted, when you score as many runs as the A's did, they should have won considering the, the starter and the bullpen, et cetera. But when you don't take advantage of second and third and nobody out, you don't get anything out of that, especially with the infield playing back. Uh, the, the runner at third and less than two outs has been a problem all season for the athletics. And while the pitcher will step it up and – pitch much better in those situations, you still, it's called contact. And Mark Kotze has told Chris Townsend and been saying 90 feet. You know, basically, you make one out, a productive out, you move up 90 feet and run scores, another one in the third base. And, you know, just little things like that. But um, I, I think, obviously, the error, um, errors are going to happen. Um, you know, you know, we saw Josh Reddick, and I didn't bring it up on the air, but remember when Danny Valencia dogged at the first base, and Carlos Correa took his time and threw him out. And then Josh Reddick came up. He assumed, Correa did, assumed that Reddick was going to do the same thing. He didn't. He busted at Correa and threw it in the seats. And all of a sudden, things changed for the Athletics. So that's what happened yesterday. Good hustle by Reddick. He had an 0 for day, but his hustle helped him get on first. And at that point, with two outs, that's when a pitcher has to step up and look around and say, I'll take care of things. Unfortunately, it did not happen. Too many bad pitches were thrown in that situation, and that was the difference in the ballgame. But you combine the, the mistake and not having a pitcher taking care of the mistake and offense not taking advantage of opportunities when they have them. To me, that was the biggest difference in the first game. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the defense because I think the defense is kind of an important topic. They always say pitching and defense is what wins playoff games. How different, it probably goes without saying, how different is the A's defense right now without Matt Chapman and with two new infielders? There have been times where they don't quite look in sync to me. You know, that's a great point. And, and we have talked, um, obviously not on the air, but in between innings about Matt Chapman and his difference, how he plays deeper. Even the ball that uh, uh, Springer hit down the left field line yesterday, Chappie's playing deeper on that ball. And, and maybe he gets to it, maybe he doesn't. I don't know. But Matt Chapman, you don't win the Platinum Glove back-to-back years and not be an outstanding third baseman. So, yes, his defense is missed. Uh, having Jake Lamb at third and Listella at second, uh, you know, sure, it's going to happen. You know, you'd, you'd hope that the period of time they had together before the playoffs that it would have helped them, and I think it did. But, you know, it, it's it's a different animal in postseason. I mean, the Astros were under 500 in regular season. Throw that out the window. Uh, the A's won the division. That's fine. But when you're in, in a season where it's a neutral site, the only home field advantage was the wild card series, and that was the best of three, and the A's lost the first game of that one. 
But, uh, you know, you throw all those things out after that first round because it's a neutral site. You don't look at home field advantage. I miss having the fans in the stands. I miss having the fans really being a huge part of the success of the Oakland A's just because of, you know, the fan base and how great they are. But, you know, the defense has to step up. And while some people, and just reported earlier recently, <laughs> that home runs are important, yes, they are. But I feel that in postseason that you don't have the pitchers pitching against you that give up a lot of home runs. You have to manufacture runs. And, and while, I mean, again, yesterday's a perfect example. You get runners on base. You have a leadoff double. You get into third. Maybe it's a gift run early in the game, which a lot of times there are. they are in the latter part of the game infields playing in but you have to make contact you have to execute and, and if you're trying to hit home runs you can be pitched to uh, I, i've seen situations where i know if i were catching i would love to see guys trying to launch every pitch because they can be pitched to that easily i don't care who's on the mound you can pitch to them and it's just a different game now and, and that's part of the game but you still i think in postseason when october rolls around and you're on the dance floor you better do the little things you better pitch and catch the ball and score runs when you have an opportunity. Because if you don't, you're going to be on the downside as the A's were yesterday. Yeah, I'm glad you, so glad you brought up uh, how you pitch other teams when the ball is flying like it. Is it just as ma- a matter of keeping the ball down? Or there are, other, are there other ways you can take advantage of guys who are just going up there, maybe just hacking? Well, there are ways. And take, for example, a right-hand hitter. Now, Chris Davis is, is, is abnormal. I mean, his power is the opposite field like he showed yesterday. And, and I think with him, but if the ball's down in a way, it's a different story. What Chris Bassett did yesterday, when he kept the ball down, they didn't hit him. Every pitch that was elevated, whether it would be Bassett or Wendelka, those pitches that were elevated, they were hit. And it's not so much the launch angle. It's, it's a better pitch to hit. If you throw 95 to 100 miles an hour and you pitch up in the zone, that's one thing. But if you don't and you have a sinker and you have a good slider and you have a right-handed hitter, right-handed pitcher, lefty on lefty, whatever it might be, if you keep the ball down and away, you know, you don't want to see mistakes inside because if you do and there's a mistake, it's a shorter distance down left field line, down the right field line. And the bigger part of the ballpark, left center, right center. I mean, you remember and still remember Yankee Stadium right now. It's horrible if you try to pitch somebody inside and make a mistake. They can go down the line very easily. And you go left center to right center, those are monster the distances. I mean, you may get extra base hits, but you're not going to get home runs. But I think if you keep the ball down, and in some cases, watch a hitter if he opens up, and let's say righty on righty, if you don't pitch him away, you're gonna you're gonna make a mistake in a zone where he can hit the ball. Uh, obviously, the the Astros bullpen so far in this postseason has been phenomenal. These are a team that typically looks to try to knock the starter out and do damage against the bullpen. How much of a factor could that bullpen be? And is it a surprise at all? We've talked so much about the A's bullpen. Uh, Here it is, Houston's bullpen, that really looks like kind of the lockdown bunch right now. Well, I think from the A's standpoint, they are a known commodity. And and known in a sense that you know what you're going to get out of the A's bullpen. You know, we saw that 13-inning extra inning game, you know, with the runner starting at second base against the Astros early in the season. When kid like Paredes came in, struck out five batters. I mean, guys just blowing. You know, sometimes, and, and, you know, people just don't get me wrong, young and dumb, you know, you don't think. You just get the ball and you throw it. And, you know, Maldonado does a great job with the pitchers. And if you're a pitcher, a young pitcher, and you don't go with a veteran catcher, shame on you anyway. But I, I think in the case of the athletics, what Petit did yesterday, 
was exactly what we saw from him throughout most of the season. He's kind of the, as, as Bob Melvin called Ryan Dahl, the janitor cleaning up the mess. Well, <laughs> all season, it's been the same thing with Merrill Petit. They had first and second, nobody out. All of a sudden, three consecutive outs. The A's are back in the dugout. At that point, I thought the A's were going to win because the rest of the bullpen could have taken over, but unfortunately, it did not happen. Uh, but I, I just think that with the young pitchers out of the Astros' bullpen, and, you know, maybe from their standpoint and from Dusty's standpoint, it was good for them that some of their veteran pitchers either opted out in the case of Joe Smith or got hurt, uh, Davinsky, Osuna, because those guys are known. You know as a hitter what they're going to do. I think with these young kids, they come in and throw, and you have no clue. And this Paredes kid can throw hard, and he's just throwing a four-seam fastball down the middle and just no contact. And that's what you can do. It doesn't really matter sometimes, especially if you're not that well-known. You can get away with stuff like that. But by and large, uh, back to your question a couple of uh, questions ago, you pitched down in the zone. And especially when an umpire, just like yesterday, uh, was calling those low strikes. I mean, you have to go with that. You have to try to keep the ball down, even even go beyond the knees and try to go down and see if you can get the pitch. If not, if the hitter is thinking that it's going to be a strike, maybe he'll swing at it and beat it in the ground instead of elevating it and hitting the ball in the air. And and the way the ball was traveling yesterday, and, and I still think the balls are a little bit hyped up, juiced a little bit. And then you take a 91-degree temperature in a stadium that normally does not allow a lot of home runs. <laughs> Six hit very easily. I mean, McCullers, when Olsen hit his home run, McCullers threw up his arms like, what the heck's going on? That's a fly ball. And it was. And, and, you know, at the Coliseum, maybe it stays in. Nighttime in Los Angeles, maybe it stays in. But that was a home run. Good to see him get off the side a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's a different park. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Madison, but especially I wanted to ask you about Chris Davis. You know, kind of quietly during September, started hitting the ball a little bit better, better and better at bats. Now here in the postseason, he he's starting to look like the old Chris Davis. What What's your evaluation of, of where he is right now? Right field hitting. Right field hitting. I mean, he does open up, and that's why if you make a mistake, and see when pitchers try to pitch him inside because he does open up, maybe they want to jam him, when he opens up the way he does, that fastball in the inside corner is like it's found in the middle of the plate or outside. And that's why he hits so many home runs to right center and right field. And he's doing that more and more now. Uh, he is still, you know, having a difficult time as, as guys did yesterday, catching up with a good fastball um, from the uh, relievers uh, coming in, throwing 95 to 100 miles an hour. And unfortunately, that's the world we live in today, you know, with the with the relief pitchers. But. You know, I like the way Chris, I like the, the confidence that he's exuding. I, I like the fact that whenever he does something well and hearing players, his teammates talk about how much they're pulling for him and, and how in the clubhouse, you know, they're talking to him and helping him. Uh, you know, this is a game of confidence. And if you're confident going to the plate and you have people believing in you, I think that's important. And I think what Bob Melvin is doing, and Bob Melvin knows his personnel, you remember on Sunday uh, against the uh, Mariners when um, Marco Gonzalez was pitching? Katie had won at bat, and then the skipper, Bob Melman, sat down next to him. And we had a shot of that. I couldn't, obviously, not knowing what was going on. And then Chad Pender comes in. But that's a manager saying to Chris Davis, okay, you got your one at bat. And probably, and then, again, I don't know what he said. I'm just thinking that he's saying, you look like you're swinging the bat. Well, I need to get Pender some at bats. And it turned out Pender with a huge hit on Thursday against the White Sox to help them win the game. So there's a manager knowing his personnel, but I think from Chris Davis' standpoint, 
He has every one of his teammates pulling for him. And I think he has the confidence now that he's at the plate, getting the way he did when he hit 40-plus home runs three consecutive years for the Athletics. And I think he's an important cog in this in this lineup because you, you like to – remember Jonas Cespedes was here. And I talked to bench coaches who would tell me that they would say to the manager, hey, the guy's coming up second. You better be careful. So when you have somebody in a lineup that the opposing team knows that you're close to coming up, it changes everything. And whenever Chris Davis was not hitting, then they could pitch around guys around him. And when uh, we saw, obviously, what happened with Ioannis Espedes when he was traded, all of a sudden Josh Donaldson and Brandon Moss are getting nothing to hit because the opposing pitchers did not have Cespedes to worry about. Absolutely. Um, how do you see things now from here? It's supposed to get cooler for the rest of the week. Obviously, the ball is flying in game one. As it cools off, is there any sort of danger of guys thinking, okay, well, I'm just going to swing for the fences, but maybe the ball might not be flying quite as much? Susan, I think if the ball is pitched up in the zone, I don't think weather really makes that much of a difference. And especially, I, I think if if the ball is is juiced, I mean, we've seen a lot of home runs. Granted, launch angles have occurred, and you know, guys are hitting home runs, and you know that what that true outcome of home run, strikeout, walk, and all that stuff. But you know, while that's great, I, you know, I still say I, I've been in enough postseasons, I've seen postseasons, I've played in them. The little things help, and if you, I mean, just like in the '70s. Uh, and I don't care. People don't like for me to talk about it. But I do know one thing that we executed. We got the job done. We bunted when we had to. Uh, everybody seemed to be able to know how to sacrifice. And even Reggie Jackson, a big power hitter, knew how to lay down a bunt to get a runner over. And little things like that do help. But you have to make contact. But I think if, again, if, if Mania today and Chris Townsend listening to him on the way in, uh, all the stats about extra days rest. To me, sometimes that can be a negative because it kind of throws off your, your mechanics, your timing. But Sean has had magnificent numbers whenever he's at extra days rest. But if he can keep the ball down and he has that nasty hard slider to the back foot of the right-handers and keeps the ball down, sinker change up, which he throws very effectively, I don't think it's really going to make a difference because uh, even though hitters do try, I think it's hard for them to get under a pitch that's down Instead, they'll see a ball that looks good, and they'll beat it into the ground. And that's what the A's want instead of the fly balls. I don't care, again, with the weather. Uh, if you pitch it down in the zone, you're going to get ground balls versus fly balls. Fly balls can end up in the seats, and you don't want that. We'll be back with more with Ray Fossey in just a moment. And a reminder, you can follow all of our A's coverage at sfchronicle.com. And to subscribe, go to sfchronicle.com slash pod. The A's have not announced their starters uh, past game two. Uh, where do you see things with that? Do you uh, do you have a personal preference or uh, a way you think maybe might work best given the, the opponent? Well, the one thing I liked about uh, Frankie Montas, the way he struggled, and, you know, I think he would have had a great 60-game schedule had he not had the neck stiffness, the back stiffness or whatever. I think he was a case of a guy who missed a complete start, had 10 days in between. When he pitched in Arizona, he had no clue what he was doing. So he's a different type of guy. For him to come in out of the bullpen, and I think the reason Bob Melvin has not announced starters for tomorrow and the rest of the series, first of all, it's a five-game series, no off days, which changes everything. Uh, Chris Bassett pitched yesterday. I could see him pitching out of the bullpen because instead of, like Frankie, instead of throwing his side session, 
they probably said to him, save it. We may need you. And they, they needed him. They got him. And he pitched well on Thursday uh, against the White Sox. And I can see that happening also with, with Bassett and maybe even Mania today, uh, depending on it. They're not going to hurt somebody. But if it goes the distance, I think the A's should have an advantage because, like, Mike Miner came in out of the bullpen yesterday uh, and pitched one inning and did a very good job. When I looked down there, I saw Fires and I saw Lazardo. So I, I think when you have six starters on your staff and the guys are down in the bullpen that are available, you know, all hands on deck. I, I just uh, I, I'm not of the belief that if you play in October that you should be tired the next year. We're not seeing we're not seeing uh, repeats because I think mentally guys say, oh, we're tired. We played the extra month. That's BS because you got four months to rest. Come on. I mean, how, how much time do you need? to really rest. And I think that's why the A's, the Yankees are the only team that have won three consecutive world championships. But I think with a five game series, the A's shouldn't have the advantage because number one, six starters. And number two, some of those starters can go to the bullpen if necessary. And number three, they have an outstanding bullpen. What's your take on the whole Astros thing? I mean, obviously there's still a team. I think a lot of America's flat rooting against because of the cheating scandal where where do you stand on all that? Is that still kind of in the front of your mind when you watch the Astros? I think I think the Astros got a pass this year because of the unfortunate coronavirus and no fans allowed on the stands. Um, I can only imagine. I think Altuve's season. Uh, I, again, I said on the air yesterday, you know, talking about some of the guys struggling during the season. I said you can't hit a thousand. So every time you make an out, you're thinking, "Uh oh, they're thinking that I know." or don't know what's coming, and, you know, I, I can I didn't get a hit. Uh, that's hard to do. That's hard to play the game that way. So maybe they're coming out of it a little bit. Uh, they're, they're leaders yesterday with the top six in the batting order, 11 hits and eight runs batted in. Uh, and, and, but I, I, I do believe that once fans are allowed back to the stands, they're not going to forget. And, uh, you know, the Astros probably trying to prove this year that assuming nothing's going on, which that's the way I'm assuming, because there is, if they put it this way, if anybody's caught beyond this year, last year, shame on them, because I would think that the commissioner really dropped the hammer big time on, on whoever, because of what happened with Jeff Luno and, and, and AJ Hinch and, 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 and um, Cora and Beltron. I mean, I, I just don't believe they're going to do that. But I think from the Astro standpoint, uh, they, they are getting a pass this year. And I think they're trying to prove that they can win, which they do have a very good lineup. They have a very good, great lineup, as a matter of fact. Uh, with Verlander out, I think if the A's can go to game five and not have to worry about him, how special would that be, Susan? Yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> to, yeah, to not have him pitching for the Tigers game five and, and those back-to-back years. But, uh, but no, the Astros are good. I, I think that, that goes without saying. And, um, you know, sometimes I, I think you get caught up in – in, in doing things that you wonder in hindsight, why did I do it? But I've always said about knowing what's coming, it's not hitting the pitch that you know it's coming. It's not swinging at the pitch that you know it's coming. It's a bad, like a changeup, like a curveball, things like that. You, you get fooled on certain pitches, and if you know they're coming, you don't get fooled. And I think that's the biggest thing, not so much of, of hitting the balls. But, you know, it's, 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 it's great to know what's coming. Um, and, you know, if it's done the right way with the runner at second base, shame on the catcher if he's not using multiple signs. 
And, um, you know, I, I just think from the Astros standpoint, that's what it's all about for them in 2020. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, I'd sure like my MVP votes back for Altuve and for Bregman. Um. Yeah, I, 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 th- I think there's a lot of people that would like that. And, and, I, and I think, you know, there's a lot of truth to it because, uh, you know, it, it just is, is one of those things that, uh, uh, you know, it, it's too bad. And, and you know what? I, I told Mike Fires at FanFest this year, the first time I'd seen him, I said, thank you. I said, what you did, and I don't care what anybody says, what you did is great for the game. You know, you may have people in Houston and the players upset and all that. And, you know, there was this one national person say, hey, what stays in the clubhouse or happens the clubhouse stays there. Well, then don't trade it. Don't let him go. If you don't want him to say anything, don't let him go. But you know what? What Mike Fires did, and I heard it. I, I, I didn't necessarily hear the trash can banging. But I made a couple of uh, comments on the air. I said, these guys are swinging like they know what's coming. Because I know. I've been there. And, and I've seen that. And uh, obviously, they didn't know what's coming. You know, But uh, but I, I just think, again, what Fires did was outstanding. And nobody should ever criticize him. Obviously, people, you know, even the people in Houston are upset, the, the fan base, because they're being charged more money because of the success of the Astros. And now they're upset. And uh, so, but, you know, I, I just think. Uh, it, it's it's not part of the game. It is part of the game of runner second base. And by the way, it seemed like yesterday, um, I can't remember who was pitching for the A's, but he said go through the signs again with nobody on base. And that was an indication to me that they were using multiple signs with nobody at second. And, you know, why not? Gaylord Perry used, never used one sign. He never. <laughs> I, when, he, when I caught him, he never used one sign. I said, what's going on? He said, you never know. I said, jeez. I said, for you, to, for you to say that, that's pretty – it's pretty special, but, uh, you know, it, it's just something that you're always concerned about. And now with the technology, uh, shame on the people that do it. And, and again, to Mike Fires, thank you for, for bringing it out in the open. Now, you obviously are undergoing a strange season like everyone else. You guys are all calling these games from different sites here at the Coliseum while the A's are here and at Dodger Stadium. What's this season been like for you? And especially, what's it like trying to get a postseason flavor and feel when you're calling from a, a building that's, you know, 600 miles away? Well, I, I think, and I've said it during the season, I've said it during the postseason, the fans are missed. Because you remember as I do in 2012, that final one game 162, and then game five of the, the division series, when, whenever the Tigers won and they're looking the A's dugout and nobody left, but the fans are standing and cheering and, and going crazy. I mean, those things are missed and I think the fans truly have a lot to do with it now as a player I can remember you kind of get focused and and you don't think about what's going on around you you're thinking about the game of baseball but you know those 455 consecutive sellouts in Cleveland I've I've went in there several times and many of those times and could see how the Indians would come back late in the ball game because those fans never left not one person left they stayed till the end. So fans are part of it. That's what I miss more than yeah. anything. But as far as calling the game at home, it's okay. Uh, with no fans, it's not okay. But at least at home, uh, whether it's on TV or radio, we have the game in front of us. And the monitors are there, but it's just like a home game. It's the, it's the difficult time when it's on the road. Yeah. Uh, because now that it's all network, uh, there's a delay because of the satellite, because the network it feeds and all that. And, uh, I give Ken and Vince a lot of credit. I do caller and uh, on radio, which, you know, is still difficult because things are happening that, 
well, you don't know what's happening. I was listening to Dave O'Brien with Chris Townsend, and he brought up a good point um, that that he he's in one place, his color guys in another place, and then the set guys they're all over the place, and, and trying to coordinate everything is difficult. But the one thing, Susan, that that you miss more than anything, and I and I think about scouts, and you know a lot of the scouts, yep. and, and let's hope they can keep their jobs. Uh, it's sad to see a lot of them being let go. But when a scout is in the stands, his eyes are all over the place. Yep. Watching on TV, he's only seeing what the television is showing. Yep. And, you know, the body language of a player after he strikes out, you know, and especially if you want to acquire somebody or, or trade or sign as a free agent, do you like the way he reacts or acts after he strikes out? You know, uh, you know, little things like that were not being seen this year. And I think that hurts. I think in postseason, the scouting, I mean, you know, in the press room, you'd see in the press uh, press box, you see hundreds of scouts as somebody potentially going to postseason. They're trying to figure out anything and everything they can talk to people. That is all gone this year. So that's why uh, I think that the winner, the world champion, is going to be pretty special this year because that means they're going to go through uh, being quarantined uh, in the bubble, if you will, for a whole period of time, um, playing straight through without off days. And basically relying on the video coordinator, and Adam Roden does a tremendous job, but, you know, he can only do so much. Uh, but, but, but not having those eyes in the stands watching, I think, is the biggest thing. And let's hope we can get back to some normalcy next year. Yeah, amen. Well, that's, I, I always think of you because uh, I'm not sure people know this. They won't be surprised, I think, when I say this. But you are the hardest working analyst, I think, <laughs> among all the team broadcasters I've seen. You are always everywhere pre-game. You're watching pregame. That's one thing you can't do on the red. Like, I'm here at Dodger Stadium. I can watch BP. I can watch the warm-ups. You, pick, you do pick things up, for sure. Yeah. Um, and you're always talking to people. You're always talking to people with the other team. You're talking to A's yeah. players. You're picking people's brains. And you, you obviously can't do that now. I mean, we're, we're not uh, Tier 1 employees. We're limited to video calls. So it's... It's not, well, it's not it's, ideal, but I have to say, I've, I've been listening to you guys on the radio throughout the postseason, and it's just a, absolutely marvelous. You, even when you're there, I am still learning stuff, and I'm here. So it's well, great work by you guys. appreciate it. But no, it's, it's, uh, it's different, but again, uh, something that we have to go through. But, you know, I'll, I'll say this too, Susan, that when you see the number of employees, the, the, uh, the ticket takers, the, the concession people, and, you know, all the people, and, and in the Bay Area, the people who work at the Coliseum also work in San Francisco. So those people work hard every day, six straight months for their entire, probably their entire income. And now that's been shut down. I see, I feel so badly for them. And granted, baseball is back. No fans in the stands. You know, that that's different, different and difficult. But um, <laughs> someone said, as a matter of fact, Greg Popper the other day actually can be our call. I was on with them, which is a shock because normally that, <laughs> that doesn't happen. But uh, Greg mentioned that same thing. He said, you know, how are you dealing with this? Because you like to be down on the field talking in the clubhouse or whatever. But, you know, it's something we have to deal with. And, uh, you know, I, I think in a lot of cases, something like this, you try to go on your past experience, uh, things that, that you kind of draw on from the past. And, you know, the game is still between the white lines and still basically baseball thrown to a hitter and you hope to catch it. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure involved, especially in postseason. I think that's the most important thing that, that people have to understand that it is not regular season. The Astros, two under 500, and they won the first game. They have, they're undefeated so far in postseason. So you throw all those things out the window. You take the experience, and you, and you take what you have learned maybe uh, from other times that can help you in certain situations, and that's where it really comes in and plays a big part in the success in October. 
Wonderful. Well, Ray Fossey, we look forward to talking to you next year, hopefully under more normal circumstances. <laughs> but thanks for providing us so much insight today on A's Plus. Okay, Susan, thank you and uh, appreciate all you do. Thanks again to Ray Fossey for joining us on A's Plus. You can follow the A's radio broadcast throughout the postseason at 9.60 a.m. Our producers today were G. Allen Johnson and King Kaufman. We will be back again next week with more A's Plus. Thanks for listening.